Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. And if you would open your Bibles along with me, we are in Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word. Your word is truly a lamp unto our feet. Your, your, your word guides us in every decision we make. Your word is so readily available to us, not only in this book, but those words that we've memorized and put into our heart. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would come and minister to us through your word, that it would be the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man that we hear. And so I pray, Father, that you would anoint me, use me, hiding me behind the cross, that I would only be your spokesman, nothing more, nothing less. And so, Father, anoint and use me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, it's interesting. We have a, a few interesting weeks coming up, and I'm not going to get into a lot of detail on this. I could share a whole teaching on it, but just something to be thinking about as far as this being a very special week. We have to remember that Jesus fulfilled all the fall feasts. Did you know that? All the fall feasts. You have the main Jewish feast, and Jesus fulfilled all the fall feasts. I'll give you an example. He was our Passover lamb, right? And that's Leviticus 23.5 and 1 Corinthians 5.7, the fulfillment. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and appointed to the Messiah's sinlessness. And that's Leviticus 23.6. First fruits, Jesus was the first fruit from the dead. And that's Leviticus 23.10 and 1 Corinthians 15.20. And Pentecost, of course, was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Leviticus 23.10 and Acts chapter 2, the whole chapter. <clears throat> but then we have the spring feast. What? Hmm? No, that's what I'm getting to right now. Now we have the spring feast coming that he has yet to fulfill. Am I saying that right? You got me confused. What is this? This is the fall. Sorry. He fulfilled all the spring feasts. Thank you, darling. See? You know, what a perfect example. Sometimes we don't understand what our wife is saying, but when we finally do, she's right. <laughs> Glory to God. So anyway, he fulfilled all the uh, falls, uh, uh, spring feasts. And now the fall feasts that are coming up. Listen to this. We have the Feast uh, of Trumpets, Leviticus 23-24, and 1 Thessalonians 4-13 through 18, and uh, 1 Corinthians 15-25. And, of course, we believe the Feast of Trumpets will be, uh, is, is signifies the rapture of the church, the church being taken out of the world. The Day of Atonement, which is his coming back to earth, and by the way, that's October 9th, coming right up. Leviticus 23, 27, and then we have Romans 11, uh, 1 through 6, and 25 through 36. And then Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Booths, or Sukkoth, um, it's when he dwells with us on earth in the millennial reign. And uh, that's Leviticus 23, 34, Micah 4, 1 through, 3, 1 through 7, and uh, that will be October 14th. And so these are a couple major feasts that are just right around the corner. And I don't think that we can put too much on the feast days. 
But yet it is very interesting when you realize that he fulfilled all four spring feasts, exactly as was prophesied. And now we have these fall feasts that are yet to be fulfilled. And so the coming of the Lord could be, as you know, any moment. I th- I, sometimes I look at the world and everything that's going on in the world, and I feel we are so ripe for the rapture of the church. And the reason we know that is because our world is becoming ripe for judgment. I don't think any of us would deny that. I mean, you look around and you see what's going on in our world, and it's like at a place that you and I never thought it would come to. You know, when you're filling out a college application and you have, I don't know what it was someone was telling me, see, there's six or seven choices that you can pick for sex. I mean, how, how can that be? You know what I'm saying? And then you have, you know, the Holocaust of abortion and you have the violent crime rate. Vi and I were watching. There's a, um, a neat website. Uh, we watch it on, on YouTube. And it's called, Pro- what is it, Five Prophet? Prophecy News Update. And what it is, is it just gives, gives news stories. You have to read it kind of quick. Just gives news, news stories of what's going on. And the amount of violent crime that is taking place in our country is completely on the rise. It's absolutely insane. And then when you see what's going on all around the world and all the preparations, this world is ripe for judgment. Well, what that speaks to us is God has promised that he would take us out of this world before judgment came. He said, I have not appointed you unto wrath, but unto salvation. And so we realize that God, you know, is coming for his church before his wrath is being poured out. And when we say the world is ripe for his wrath to be poured out, his judgment, then we have to realize it's close. And you and I as believers, we have a responsibility to not only be worshiping the Lord, seeking him as his appearance, his his taking the church out of the world, the rapture is so near at hand, but it should really encourage us to share our faith with every single person we come in contact with. Every single person we love, we should take that leap of faith and share our faith. They might become angry with us, they might disagree with us, but we need to share our faith. Because I firmly believe, and I've shared this with you before, that after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a great revival. Such a great revival that the Antichrist has to devise a way in order to identify the people who are Christian. That's how great the revival is going to be. And so you might share your faith with someone before the rapture, and they say, oh, you're nuts, and, and they might even say all kinds of lousy things about you because of what you shared, but it's going to be in there. And when the rapture comes and they realize, wow, this is the weirdest event in human history, and that lunatic that was talking to me told me this is exactly what was going to happen. And so it should be an encouragement. We look at these feast days, and, and I can't help it because this week we have two of the feasts coming up, and it's just, just very exciting, the times in which we live. Okay, getting back to our portion in Leviticus, and I want to share this with you first. The whole burnt offering that it speaks about in this portion was, con- uh, was in connection with the confession of our sin nature. In other words, when, when we 
go before the Lord and confess to him, I am a sinner. We're not, at least we shouldn't be thinking that at that point about specific little sins. Well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. When we go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, a sinner, we're talking about our sin nature. It's our nature to sin. Okay? Now, the sin offering, which is mentioned in this portion, is in this portion is connected with our individual sin. And the fellowship offering was one of thanksgiving for the fellowship that we have with the Lord because of his acceptance of our offerings, of our sin nature and of our individual sins. Now, why did God allow all of these ordinances? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, God gave the tabernacle to the children of Israel, and he allowed all these different ordinances, all these different sacrifices that they might do to have relationship with him. And why did he lay out the law the way he did, and everything had to be done in a certain way? It was because of the hardness of man's heart. I mean, you have to go all the way back to when they first journeyed in the wilderness. And you have to realize that, you know, God wanted to have fellowship with man right then. And he wanted to be the one that would guide him. But what did the people say? No, Moses, we don't want that. You go and talk to God. And whatever he tells you to do, we'll do. They were putting themselves under the law. And, of course, putting themselves under the law, what they were failing to realize in their statement, whatever he tells us to do, is they were actually putting upon themselves an obligation that they were incapable of fulfilling. No man can fulfill the law. And so it was because of the hardness of the heart that God laid out the law the way he did. And if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 and pick up in verse 11. Hebrews 9, picking up with verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. See, he is the fulfillment of what the meaning of the tabernacle in the wilderness and the law was all about. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. He died for us for the redemption of the forgiveness under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Wow. You know, on our own, we can do nothing. But Jesus did it all for us. To me, that's so amazing. Now, let's look at our portion in Leviticus chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, uh, when they had offered profane fire before the Lord and died. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come in at just any time in the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, uh, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And some people say, why was he appearing in the cloud above the mercy seat? Because the cloud hides. And no one can see God's face and live, Scripture tells us. But how interesting it is that one day, as believers, we're going to meet him in the cloud, and we're going to see him as he is. That's amazing. No longer will his glory be hidden. And the only reason we'll be able to see his glory and live is we'll have glorified bodies, according to the word of God. Verse 3. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering, and he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body, and he shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall uh, be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and and, uh, make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat um, on which he, and then the Lord shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself for his house, and he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take the censer full of burning coals uh, um, of, of the fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put on the in, and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat and on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring his blood inside the veil, do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of their transgressions for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meetings, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. 17. Uh, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make, a, uh, to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out 
um, to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the hands, the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from uh, the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Well, you read all that and you think, wow, that's pretty complicated. That's the wonderful thing. The Lord did all the complicated stuff for us and has made it very simple. All we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. How wonderful that is. I mean, the law was very strict. The law was very complicated. It had very definite rules and regulations it had to be followed. And for you and I as believers, it's very simple. We follow Jesus. We take up our cross every day and we follow the Lord. And, um, you know, as far as the sprinkling of the blood seven times, seven in the Bible is always the number of completion or perfection, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect shedding of blood. Now, what I like about this portion, this, these 19 verses, it starts right off warning, you know, Aaron, Moses, uh, you know, through Moses, warning Aaron not to try to worship the Lord just the way he wants to. And he used Aaron's sons as an example. I don't think Aaron's sons said, let's blaspheme God. Let's go in there and do something that's going to make God angry. I don't believe that at all. Actually, I think, you might think I'm crazy, but I, I think we're going to see Aaron's sons in heaven. I believe what it was is Aaron's sons were saying, you know what? This is so exciting. Here we are. We have a chance to worship the Lord. Hey, Let's add some of our own stuff to it. Let's come up with, an, with even a different way to worship the Lord. And, of course, fire broke out from the Lord and consumed them. And so one of the things is telling us we need to stop trying to figure out new ways to worship the Lord and just simply worship him the way he's already told us. I mean, God's given us beautiful things. He's given us prayer, right? He's given us spiritual songs to sing. He's given us his word. He's given us fellowship with one another. And to try to be thinking of all these crazy things. Well, if you really want to worship the Lord, you have to do a backflip off the church into a trampoline and then bounce into the garden. You know, just, I'm just saying crazy stuff, but people come up with all these different things that you need to worship the Lord. And the only thing you need to worship the Lord is a contrite heart, a broken spirit, and a love for God. And you can worship him. I'll tell you right now, the greatest worship that you should have with the Lord is when you're alone. When Aaron went in, he went in what? By himself. And our communal worship in church is wonderful. It's commanded of God. It's, it's one of the things that he, you know, he said, you know, you have to make sure that you gather yourself together and all the more as you see that day approaching. I mean, church is important. Because this is the time that we come together not only to have fellowship with one another, but to have his word broken open and expounded upon. But when it comes to actual pure worship, the most significant times you're going to have of worship is when you're alone with God. And sometimes we don't make any time to be alone with God. You know, I've heard people say, you know, when I'm, I drive a lot, when I'm driving down and I'm playing the music, man, I am just worshiping the Lord. I believe it. It's just you and the Lord. Awesome. Now, remember 1 Samuel 15, 23 through 24? And um, Saul 
was waiting for Samuel to come to offer the evening sacrifice, and he didn't show up, so Saul went and did it on his own. And, of course, that was contrary to the law. And um, that's when Samuel made this statement to Saul. He said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so this portion is telling us, you know, in a sense, not in a sense, in, in a definite way, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not a matter of doing this. It's to obey the word of the Lord. What is the word saying to you? What is the Lord showing you? Then it tells us that um, Aaron came into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now, the sin offering of the bull represents man's guilt, which deserves death. And only blood could, be, could sanctify the sinner and make him whole. The burnt offering, which was of the ram, represented the need for you and I to offer ourselves fully to the Lord. And let me share some verses in the, in the New Testament that talk about this. If you, if you take notes, Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Listen to this. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to. As the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, his blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And then as far as you and I are concerned, after we're saved and our sins have been forgiven, in Romans 12, 1 it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God. Listen to this. Which is your reasonable service. That's not your above and beyond duty service. Just your reasonable service. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Lord, here I am. Use me. No matter what goes on today, use me. You know, we get so caught up with the world. We get so caught up with everything that's going on around us that sometimes we lose sight of our mission. You know, there was an old saying. Actually, when I was teaching years ago, it was a poster that they had in the faculty room. And it was uh, uh, a swamp full of alligators. And the poster said, when you're up to your butt... In alligators, it's hard to remember your task was to drain the swamp. And the whole point of it is, the world is just all biting around us and with our work and with problems we have and all this kind of stuff. And it's hard to remember what our task really is. To be evangelist. To be his witness in this world. To be a living sacrifice for him and for him alone. Now... It talks about the holy linen, the tunic, the linen trousers, you know, um, and, and the sash around, and, and also uh, the turban that was on his head. And um, these were pure white, these linen garments that the high priest wore when he went in to make the sacrifice. And the first thing it tells us, if you recall, he had to wash himself. Then he had to put on these clean, pure garments before he went in and worshiped the Lord. And this is why before we go to the Lord... We don't want to go before the Lord in prayer and in study of his word filthy. So what we need to do is to wash ourselves in the water of the word. We need to go to prayer. We need to confess. Confession is the only mode by which you can be forgiven and washed clean. If, you know my verse, 
If, in other words, if is telling us, if you don't do this, it's not going to happen. So if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. Now you're ready to go before the Lord. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you go to prayer, when you go to study the word, when you're sitting getting ready for the message to be shared, <clears throat> one of the, well, not one of the first thing that you should be doing is saying, God, forgive me a sinner. Make your confessions to the Lord. You know, the Lord knows all of our weaknesses, and there's nothing wrong with confessing our weaknesses to the Lord. Now, you have to be careful confessing your weaknesses to one another. You want to know why? Because they're weak. We need to confess our weaknesses to the Lord. Lord, forgive me a sinner. Please, God, forgive me. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we're ready to be in fellowship with him, either in prayer or in his word, and see the high priest putting on his, you know, these pure white garments after he has cleansed himself, washed himself, and the brazen lever. It's an example for you and I to be washed with the washing of the word by confessing and repenting to the Lord in order to be able to be in his presence and worship him. Now, um, it tells us um, in Isaiah 54, 6, um, that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. And the reason I bring that up is people think, well, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I promise you I'm going to be good. God, I promise you I'm going to be reading my Bible. I'm going to be doing this and that. Uh, uh, now I'm ready to be in your presence. No, you're not. That's your own righteousness and you still have filthy rags on. It's only going before the Lord and saying, I'm guilty, forgive me, Jesus, that you can be cleansed and made ready. <clears throat> because we have to understand, we cannot ourselves, nor can anyone else, prepare us to be in the presence of the Lord. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord. Now, we must remember, too, that the two goats that were mentioned in this signify now, listen carefully. The two goats signify or constitute one sin offering. It's one single sin offering. Each represents a distinct aspect of the covering for sin. One was offered as a sin offering. The other was released in the wilderness. One was, you know, put to death. Its blood was shed and it was used uh, for a sin offering, and the other one was released. The goat that was sent into the wilderness was called the scapegoat. And so often we think of Jesus being the scapegoat. Not in this sense. Not in what we're reading here in Scripture. The scape, Jesus wasn't the scapegoat. Let me uh, finish what I'm saying here. This represents the sins of Israel being taken from them into the wilderness. In Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Now it's interesting when we read the Gospels that the lot fell on Jesus to be crucified and Barabbas was released into the wilderness of the people. The innocent is killed and the guilty are set free. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross as our sacrifice, 
He took our sin upon himself. Now understand that in the offering of the two goats, both goats had the sin of the people, you know, uh, confessed upon them. But we have to remember that when Jesus hung on that cross, the only sin that was present was ours. He took all of our sin upon himself. The only time he cried out through his his whole ordeal of torture was when he hung on the cross and all the sin of the world fell upon him. He said, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is the 22nd Psalm, which is a psalm that describes crucifixion 600 years before it was invented by the Romans. And so we have to realize that uh, Jesus Christ, he hung on that cross not for his own sin, but for ours. And so he was, the, you know, in the sense, the goat that was chosen by the Lord to die and shed his blood for the sin of the people. But he himself was innocent. And he, of course, rose from the dead. So now that you and I have been set free to choose, we must choose to offer ourselves and take up our cross that our spirit might be set free to worship and to serve the Lord in spirit and in truth. You know, sometimes when uh, you're going through uh, a hard time or maybe you have to go and do something that's very difficult and you have a friend that is saying metaphorically, and they're trying to be nice, but they're, they're saying, I'll be with you in spirit. You go and do that hard work. You move, whatever. I'll be there with you in spirit. And you're thinking, well, I'd rather have you be there. <laughs> well, the reality is when the Lord says he will be with us in spirit, it's very different. We're born again of the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. So it's a very different thing with the Lord. He is with us in Spirit, but His Spirit. And it dwells deep within us and gives us all the strength, direction, and encouragement that we need. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 um, and 16, it says this, For this is the will of God, listen, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. And so now that we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, we're still, you know, we're still sinners, right? Sinners saved by grace. And so we have to understand, though, that God has set us free so that we might serve him. And we weren't what we were. We're not what we're yet going to be. You know, we have been set free. We've been cleansed. All of our sin has been forgiven. And so we must make the most of every opportunity in sharing our faith with those around us, but recognizing we're still limited while we're in this mortal body because we're still sinners saved by grace. It's an amazing thing. And so I'm going to conclude with um, a portion from Isaiah 53 and then uh, one verse from... uh, 2 Corinthians, but if you uh, would like to turn to Isaiah 53, everyone, everyone knows uh, it's a messianic chapter. And I'm going to pick up in Isaiah 53 with verse 6. Isaiah 53, 6. We all, you know what we all means? It means y'all. It means everyone. <laughs> we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
<clears throat> he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers silent, so he did not open his mouth. And then we pick up the last verse I want to share is in Second Corinthians five twenty one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. It's not our own righteousness. It's his, that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, think of, of what Second Corinthians 5.21 is telling us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, you talk about the best deal in the world. I mean, he does it all, and he gives us all. What a blessing. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this portion to encourage us and to help us understand all that you have accomplished in our behalf. In you, the entire law was fulfilled. In you, we have eternal life. In you, we have fellowship. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses everywhere we go. And I ask this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends. And um, wouldn't it be great if I didn't see you next week, if we met in the air? 